Hello again and welcome to part two of our very first and special Spotlight episode with Joachim Stempfle on transformations. In part one, we explored inner personal transformations and the necessary conditions to facilitate it. If you haven't listened to part one yet, go right ahead and give that a listen. Here in part two, we'll continue the conversation and dig deeper into outer systems transformations and the ways in which organizations can evolve their culture, structure and processes. Hope you enjoy it. Okay, Joe, so we now talked a little bit about the inner transformation and you said that inner transformation and outer transformation needs to happen in sync, right? And in a way, the inner transformation also enables that outer transformation. How, how do you understand outer transformation? I think it's basically the evolution of the system so that people in the system can best serve the goals and the strategy, right? So when you have a new North Star and you have a new strategy, obviously you probably need to organize yourself in a different way. But I think it's important to look at auto transformation, not just as structure. Often people look at only the organizational structure. I think it's much more comprehensive to look at the operating model of the organization, right? This is basically how the organization works and structure and roles are just one piece. You have capabilities um, as well, right? You have decision-making um, authorities, governance that's all part of it you have processes and tools and very importantly right there is we, we use that distinction of hardware and software right uh, often we focus a lot on the hardware but the software is the culture it's the behaviors right it's how we do things and and both of these need to evolve in sync in the direction of of the strategy and and then when you look at how to approach this right i think we already shared that our approach is you don't start with restructuring yes. right um you, you usually start with first the vision and the strategy and then you probably start with experiments you know where you look at what what ways of working and what ways of organizing ourselves might be best suited to reach this and you test out different options and this has the advantage that first you test what works and what doesn't and you learn from it and secondly people learn as they do right most learning happens by doing it doesn't happen overnight so this this experimentation period is so crucial from my point of view because first of all it ensures that whatever we then scale actually works it has been tested and tried and iterated and secondly um it ensures that people grow grow as we go right um and and, and it's not happening yeah. prematurely and i think interesting enough you know a lot of organizations now we work with move into agile want to move into more of an agile organization setup and you know the funny thing there is that I often I use this 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 this, this statement right to say you cannot master plan your way <laughs> into agility, right? When you think about what agility is, it is all about doing work in small iterations, having a big goal, breaking it down, giving it to teams, and then working in small iterations. So it's crazy to think that you could move into an agile organization with a big waterfall master yes. plan, right? <laughs> um, you have to have a, a roadmap, obviously, and you have to have a goal, but but it cannot be that you then mechanically try to pull off a plan no matter what, right? And and we saw so many great examples to make it concrete. Um, for example, when you, when you have a vision and strategy and you then want to move into more agile ways of working, one process that worked beautifully is to take, for example, teams comprised of people from the organization out for one week at a time, like one week a month, and then actually work on strategic projects using agile methods, like running a one week sprint every three or four weeks, right? Um, 
where people implement the strategy working in cross-functional teams in a new way, in a new format. And I call this the triple win because, first of all, we're actually executing our strategic priorities. Secondly, we bring people together and start to work cross-functionally in teams. And thirdly, people work in agile ways while they do it. So it's a triple win. It's a very organic way. And once people are used to work like this, you know, it's very easy to say, hey, you know, if this makes sense and we work much better in a cross-functional team setup, wouldn't we at one point break up our functional structure and build mission-based teams, also stable teams, um, around certain organizational goals and organize them in the team of teams setup? Wouldn't this be a much more organic way of running the organization? You know what I mean? It, it's a, it, it, often what we see when we operate like this, that people naturally at one point say, why are we still organized in departments and hierarchy when this way of working is so much faster, so much more fun, and so much more impactful, right? And so, so I, I'm a big fan of approaching it in steps. And once you then have done the experiments, then have a very deliberate operating model evolution kind of process that once again can be a top-down, bottom-up process where we engage a lot of people. And I know we both, and you have done a lot of work specifically for one customer also in this, in this right? You're working with teams who are actually evolving the operating model. So yeah. maybe, maybe you could share some some thoughts or some experiences. Yeah, it, it was exactly how you said, right? We, we started with working with... Um, uh, the leadership team and a few more people to set up the strategy and then had organized uh, sprint teams around the strategic pillars. And this was also, you know, one of the few or first times that a lot of people from different parts of the organization, different levels of hierarchy were coming in into those pillar, strategic pillar sprint teams and working together. And is exactly how you said, just by them working together in those constellations, they found it so much more fruitful to continue doing that in many different ways, right? And even, and I noticed, right, we had this um, journey with them for two years. Uh, it's, it's, this is the third year uh, that we started this journey with them. And they did organically start talking about the change of the operating model. But even before that, a lot of the people who were working within, within their silos, they started cross-pollinating and having started having those discussions, right? Even simple tools like doing empathy interviews for a first time. I remember how much of resistance we got, right? Like, why do we, what do we ask the people? Like, what do we pick up the phone and ask them for? What are the questions and how do we organize this, uh, uh, organize uh, these interviews? It just slowly became the par a part of the DNA of the people who've been actively involved in those sprints, and they've brought that back into their specific, you know, uh, small teams. So you you do see that natural way of, it's it's what you said, right? It's it's yeah. it's uh, it's a lot about um, how, also how the brain works. The the pathways that you strengthen in the brain soon become the patterns that you have as a person. And the same thing in the organization, the pathways and the connections that you establish in an operating model through those cross-functionality, that soon does become the operating model very organically. Exactly. And I remember one very impactful session that for this group, still to this day, people very much talk about it, which came a little bit later in the process. We had done the vision strategy, we had done the experimentation, and there was a lot of maturity growing in the organization. And eventually we got to the point where, you know, the organization wanted to formally now evolve the operating model. And then what we did is we scheduled a five-day sprint in the leadership team 
to really now look at the operating model altogether. But it wasn't like they just meet all by themselves. Every day we had people come in from the organization who shared experiences, who shared what's working, what's not working. We had, you know, right? They had some strategic squads that were defining strategy. They had them come in, share what's working, what's not working. They had some customer centric teams come in talking about that, right? We had some internal folks come in and we were basically, and then we brought in a lot of outside inspiration of different operating models, right? Different completely different ways how to do it. And people were wrestling and we basically withheld the attention, right? People were wrestling with a lot of things. And then we first said, what principles do we want to work by? You know, we, we didn't start with structure yeah. or anything. We really said, what are the principles that we want to work by? And for example, they defined one, which became an extremely powerful guideline, guideline for the whole thing, which said basically the task determines the team, right? So the principle said, whatever the task is, the team needs to be built around the task so that this task can best be completed. And they started to think from there, they had a couple of other principles, and then it became a completely mission-based organization where you have overarching missions. And then the question is, right, strategic missions, you, you, you organize a certain strategic area, what, what team is best qualified to do that? And then you had operational missions and how they connect. And then they started to build... Um, an organization, we drew visuals and pictures, we tried to visualize it and had the customer at the center with a big heart, right? And then it was like, you know, these teams around the customer based on certain missions and interconnected, some teams, more support teams, enabling teams, some people, some teams, more strategic teams, some directly customer serving. And then they came up with a team based setup. And first, we started to really, you know, visualize it, right, based on all these conversations. And then we just said, okay, now, if this is where we want to go, what questions need to be answered and what needs to be evolved, right? Um, and there was questions around performance management roles, right? Um, seniority levels, um, you know, decision-making. We, we, we just captured all these questions and we just said, okay, which ones need to be answered first? Which one can be answered second? And then you just kind of chip away at it, right? But this not starting from an organizational design blueprint, but in fact, starting from a purpose and a goal, having conversations where you bring people in and then principles and visual of what this organization can look like and work like. And then we go into mm -hmm. the details. I think that was a super inspiring and powerful process. And, and it, it, it got then to a very organic point where also the whole organization really embraced this model because it was natural yeah. and organic. And I think the important part here is also, again, you know, it's it's not just what you want to do, what's the vision, it's also how you do it. And I love that this team then came out with, uh, okay, who are the best people in this in this organization to get us there to help us facilitate this this organic move right and um they they got people from all parts of the organization a handful of them to create that transformation office that was completely empowered to go back into the organization do additional empathy interviews you know tap into the pulse of what's actually needed what are where are the blockages the where's where are things flowing really well you know we also introduced that concept of flow right uh, from where you start and, and of resources towards the purpose. So I, I think that even that whole experience of getting a transformation office together and empowering them and then really recalibrating, it was also a moving target. It wasn't just, okay, now we've created this model. This is what it needs to be. It's it's actually been an organic process. And even the transformation office, they, they came up with, after a few months of them doing the groundwork, they came up with interesting insights and they've started implementing things on a process exactly. level first, right? They're not changing lines and boxes and everything because that is, um, it's too much, it's too permanent. They started with the process and that that makes a whole lot of a difference because that is where in the process is where 
people, the work is being done. And that's where you're actually affecting um, the value chain of the entire organization, right? You're so right. And I think that the emphasis often in traditional change processes on organizational structure is a fundamental mistake. Because first of all, even if you just keep the structure intact, you can always just pull people out of departments and just create new teams, mission-based teams, and work with them in different ways. You know, even without changing that whole formal structure, you can do so much already um, organically, right? So it doesn't make sense to start from a structural point of view. It starts from what do you want to achieve, which teams do you build and pull together, and then you experiment with that. But the second piece is also that, you know, um, structure doesn't change at all how people think and what they're capable of, right? Ultimately, the emphasis needs to be much more on capabilities and skills. And unfortunately, what we see a lot in the restructuring is that people spend all their times drawing boxes, defining roles, defining decision-making authorities. And there is no thinking whatsoever um, put into, well, what do people need to be capable of doing? You know what I mean? Like what skills will they need and how will we help them acquire them? And I think the problem with that approach is also it creates a lot of fear because you ask people, basically, now you're one meter 70, tomorrow we ask you to be two meters tall. <laughs> Good luck with that. You know what I mean? That's what you basically do. You just say tomorrow you're expected to work in this, in this, in this completely new way and do something completely different and just, yeah, figure out how to do it. You know, that that's not how, how it works. You know, it, it basically pushes people into a fear zone because they, they objectively lack the capabilities, right? And, and when you push people into a fear zone, then they start to be defensive and protective. And then they try to undermine what you're trying to do. So I really think we need to spend a lot less energy on the structure and the formal, the hardware part of it, and do that much later and spend a lot more energy on capabilities. How do we build people's skills in an organic way? And how do we build dialogues that allow people to evolve their inner operating system? And how do we connect people in different ways? And when that happens, the rest actually happens organically. People at one point, like in one organization, the one I was sharing yeah. with, with this operating model sprint, at one point, people from the organization were saying, why are we still operating in this old hierarchical functional structure? It doesn't make sense anymore. We had people from the bottom pushing for the change because they said, this is too slow. There is too much hierarchy. You know, it slows us down. We had a concrete example of, and that was one of the examples we brought into the operating model sprint where um, the example was customer initiated projects, right? And, and, uh, and it took them one and a half years to approve or reject a customer initiated project. Now imagine you're a customer and you're asking the organization to partner with you to do a project and it takes one and a half years for the organization to answer. You know what I mean? Uh, that was super frustrating for the team that was running this, right? And, and why was that so slow? Because they had two levels of hierarchy and they, and they had different groups that all needed to approve. Every group had their own hierarchy. So, right? so in, each, in each function, there was a hierarchical cascade that was not aligned between the functions, right? And that slowed it down to a one and a half year process. And then there was global involved who also needed to right. approve, right? So what they ended up doing is saying, we want to do this much faster, so they just basically killed all that hierarchy in the process and said there's just one group of decision makers that's predefined. There is one set of meetings. 
and either you're there or you're not there. And that's where we make the decision. And they were able to boil it down to 90 days. Yeah. You know what I mean? And this came from the organization. It wasn't the leadership team is saying we need to change. This was coming from the organization, from the people who were working with these customers who had a deep frustration and said, we cannot believe that we have to tell our customers, wait for one and a half years and we'll give you (laughs) feedback. You know what I mean? And that's what you get to when when you work in this more organic way. Um, Then you just need to listen to these pockets and to the early adopters, to the ones who are already creating the future, who are producing the output. You just need to listen to them. And and when they have the knowledge and the capabilities and they have experienced a different way of working, they will challenge the rest of the yeah. organization. And that's a beautiful example, right? That that that's when you know that you've also you've created that agile organization that you plan to in a way, right? It's not it's not in the end the probably the removing the hierarchies wouldn't have made that difference because there would be informal hierarchies that would evolve and come in place. But what you did is through that process created, as you said, right, that agency for people to come up and say, hey, this is bullshit. We need to do something different. We need to serve our customers and we need you not to block us. And that's when the organization is aware, is agile. It's is all of those things that we try to do. Exactly. I think there is one additional key to this and the mistake that's often made is that too much work goes into leadership teams, especially senior leadership teams. And I'm not saying we don't need to work with them. It's super important. We need to build trust alignment and then your vision and strategy needs to be carried by senior leadership. So it's super important to work with them. But then when you start experimenting, you will have your early adopter teams and we need to support the hell out of these teams. You know what I mean? Because these teams are often people who do not feel safe yet to make decisions. They're used to hierarchy blocking ideas. They're used to maybe, you know, cascades of bosses shooting down and not taking risks. And they also don't know how to work in different ways yet. So they lack skills, they lack confidence, and they're not psychologically secure, right? So we can't just leave these teams alone. Otherwise, often they fail, you know, they fall short of what's expected. And then the rest of the organization will say, see, we told you. You know what I mean? Uh, We told you it's not going to work. So I think the key is, yes, we need to work with senior leadership and with leaders in general very much. But then we really need to work with the early adopter teams during this critical experimentation phase. We need to support them and we need to build up their capabilities and their confidence. And then they can be the motors. They can be basically the engine of the transformation. And just creating these success stories deliberately, right? Creating powerful success stories lighthouses for the organization that people just have visible proof that it works is so important because in fairness a lot of people when you talk about changes are afraid of the risk and the risk is not just you know it's there right i mean who tells you that this different way of working is more impactful than the old way of working you're not going to entirely change your organization just based on someone's belief right Mm -hmm. so this this experimentation phase making this work well, supporting these teams so that you have visible proof and evidence is important to also then go out to the broader organization and say, look, we have run so many experiments, we have run the lighthouses, and we have the testimonial from the teams. Why would we not scale it, right? And often in the sprints, we also then bring in these early adopter teams and we let them share directly to the leadership team what worked, what didn't work, you know, what needs to be in place for this to be able to scale. And you get a very robust and thorough view of what's truly needed, right? Before you go all out and you scale. And I think that's been usually when we work this way, then you see a very organic trajectory where an organization starts to 
grow and improve all the time, you know, where it's, there's never that valley of death. There's never that dip into fear. And often, right, you have that, that dip when you do traditional restructuring where for one or two years, everything gets worse and nothing works. And then yeah. maybe you gradually pick up. That's not, that's not a given in transformations that it has to be this way. You can have an organic growth curve where you never have a dip if you work like this. Yeah. But do you feel, Joe, that you might have plateaus? And I'm asking this because in the last conversation with uh, uh, with Jochen, who you talked about transformations itself, right? We talked a lot about the fatigue of some transformations. And yes. I personally think when I look at some organizations, right, when yes. with all the good intent in the world, there's so much energy and effort going in. In, in the initial stages, right? And and then you sort of create this illusion that at one point we will reach that goal and then it will stop. And then, you know, you create that again, reinforce that illusion of stability coming at some point in the future. And you create that escalation in the organization, that movement, it's, it's, it's happening, right? Yes. Yes. And then when you reach that point, you're like, oh, wait, actually we have to go into yet another transformation. I've seen some organizations do like waves of these transformations that completely deplete the energy of the organization. So I wonder, there are, there are moments when it's organic and it's, you know, as you said, right, when you, when you exercise that muscle of experimentation and, and build that capability beyond the uh, senior leadership team into the early adopters and then create that critical mass that will eventually take the whole organization forward in that experimentation route. I feel like that provides a bit of more resilience and, and I guess absorbs that shock of the next transformation coming in and there isn't a next one, right? It's just yeah. one big growth yeah. journey. Yeah. Yeah. But I feel like at some points yeah. for, for people to actually learn and, and also yeah, feel feel confidence in, in what they've learned, right? Coming back to skills, they need moments of rest and plateau uh, on an individual level to assimilate those learnings before they can go to the next thing. W what is your perspective on this? I think you're raising a super important point. Um, and, and the first one is the first answer which you just gave is so important that it's not independent transformations every year you know i mean in german there's a in german language there's a saying you know you're driving a new pick through the village every year that's a german saying right? <laughs> i love german that's sayings. how people, germans can be quite brutal in the sense you know what what most organizations do is it's a flavor of the month you know new new, new boss new transformation it's one transformation after the other and it's always different and, and, and it makes no sense, right? So when you look at a fundamental transformation, you start from purpose, vision, and strategy. The strategy is long-term. It's not something that you change every year, right? And then you work towards that agenda consistently over time, and you evolve the organization in line with that. But there is a fundamental narrative that doesn't change every year, right? Then you just add different pieces to it, but the narrative is the same. So I think that's the first part. And the second part is very much around mindful pacing. And, and what does that mean, right? What's the right speed, right? When you, when you work with the transformation journey paradigm, as opposed to a big bang paradigm, pacing is so important because you can fall off the horse in two directions. You can lose momentum, right? Because there's just not enough initiative. There's not enough activity. And then the people who start to move feel hanging out to dry you know yeah. there's no follow-up there's no support and then it dies because the energy you've created basically is stifled right so you have to have pace and momentum um, into this otherwise it dies 
but you can also overspeed, right? You can go too quickly. You can go into the restructuring before you have even brought up people's skills. And then you drive people into the valley of death and into the fear space. And then it also dies because then a lot of people will basically just reject, right? So this, this finding exactly the right, the right pace, right? That is, that is keeping the momentum and the energy high that really gives credibility to those who drive it to the early adopters and makes them feel like they will have an impact, but that doesn't overwhelm the broad organization is such a crucial piece. That's why um, one thing we emphasize a lot in transformations is to have a rhythm of activities that you do no matter what. You don't know what you're going to do, but you do know that, for example, you know, we often build leadership communities and every four to six months, you have to have a touch point in the leadership community where you basically reflect on where you are in the transformation, where you reconfirm the vision, where you take the learnings and then you deliberately accelerate or take the next step, right? So you, you can plan these critical touch points with critical target groups in advance. And that makes sure you keep that rhythm, right? You keep that pace and you're mindful at every stage, you're mindful at where the organization is are you moving too fast? Are you moving too slow? Where are you people, right? And then you adjust. But but that is such an important piece when you work with with the transformation journey. Um, and that and, and as you said, right, this whole fire in the beginning. There's way too much energy spent on launching a transformation. Yeah. But in fact, what matters is execution. It's basically how you manage the journey, right? And it's not managing in a traditional sense. It's orchestrating a rhythm of activities that allow people to reflect, adjust and plan and allow people to stay connected. So it's really about the execution. It's about the long run and not about that initial fire that you create. Hmm. So not the New Year's resolution that I'm going to drop five kgs in the next month, yes. but really consistent yes. exercise, good yes. eating, good. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And one leader I work with, you know, what it, it just really, it really touched me when, when, you know, he said this very simple truth anything truly valuable in life takes time to build you know nothing that's really valuable just comes easy or quick whether it's a relationship right um, whether it's a family whether it's a transformation an organization nothing that's truly valuable just comes quickly and easily right and if you once you understand that then you're at ease and okay with this being a journey that takes time and that you continuously invest the time and the energy because that's just how life works. I love that. And I think this is actually a beautiful way to also summarize uh, our conversation and bring it to an end here. That's just how life works. So thanks a lot, Joe. Thanks. This conversation was really great. And I hope we can have more of these conversations in the future. Thank you, Neha. We will. <laughs> <laughs>